We come to Mark chapter 14 this evening, verse 26 to verse 31. And I'll be preaching on overconfidence. So almost done with the, the series on personal problems. Uh, overconfidence tonight. And for those of you who um, haven't heard the series, it's really a, a part of a much larger series called, called First Aid for the Soul. It's about, about all kinds of counseling topics, just the Christian life. And I'm doing this from a biblical perspective. So, overconfidence. Let's pray, and then we'll hear the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, thank you that this evening we come together to learn your word again and I pray that you would open our hearts and understanding just as we had good rain last night so that the rain of the word would come but produce a good crop in our hearts transform us by the Holy Spirit change us under the power of your mighty word Lord that Jesus Christ would change us so that we would be conformed to his image and transformed into the image of our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Mark 14, verse 26. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away. For it's written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of examples, illustrations from everyday life to show you what I mean by the word overconfidence. When I was uh, 17 years old and my brother was 18, his friends came over to our house and we played cricket outside in the yard. And my sister was there, 13 years old, and she said, she said I want a bowl. And this friend of my brother said, No, no, she's a girl. Oh, no, I'm not going to let a girl bowl to me. And we said, Come on, give her a chance. No, she's a girl. I'll, and, and kind of implying I'll hit her for a six, the first ball. And the very first ball, she bowls him clean. <laughs> so he's bowled out. And we all roll. <laughs> you know, it's like we're rolling with laughter. And then it became the excuse, no, no, it doesn't count, she's a girl, she's a girl. <laughs> you know, that guy was really overconfident. Or we've all seen uh, people on music talent shows like SA Idols or Britain's Got Talent or whatever. Uh, there was one particular man on, on South, Africa, South African Idols. He was so confident and, and really overconfident convinced he's got this perfect singing voice and the judges didn't think so they said to him you cannot sing but he kept on being confident i can sing i'm brilliant I've got the, you know singing like sing like a nightingale <laughs> or what about the all black rugby team 
when they, haven't e they hadn't even played in the semifinals, they were through to the semifinals, uh, about to play France, they hadn't even played the game and they were already, already celebrating because they're the world champions and we're going to win this World Cup easy, just knock France out in the semifinal and then we'll take the final, be an e a run over, an easy win. And they, they got beaten by the French, overconfident. Or you get maybe a, a student... He's overconfident. He overestimates his own academic ability or uh, how good his memory is, and he doesn't study hard and then fails the exam. Or an overconfident sportsman who is too confident about himself and overestimates his own talent, and then he doesn't, he hasn't got a disciplined exercise program, and then when it comes to the playoffs, he doesn't get doesn't get selected, or when they do the selection, doesn't, doesn't get selected for the team. Or someone who, who's got this very high view of his um, ability, his working ability, and he thinks the company won't be able to do without me, this company won't survive without me, my boss won't fire me if I'm lazy, and then he does get fired. And the company continues perfectly well without him. And you even see this in children. You know, maybe a three-year-old who says, I can pour the milk myself. I don't help me, I can do it myself. And then they just end up spilling the milk. Or someone, maybe a seven-year-old, saying, no, no, Granny, no, Granny, you can take me in the car. You don't need to check your GPS. I know exactly how to get to my friend's house. And, and then they get lost. I, I remember times in my own life where I was overconfident. And i uh, give you some examples. I played squash and tennis against a girl, the same girl. And I was confident, I'm, I'm going to wipe the floor with her, I'm going to beat her. And she beat me, both in squash and in tennis. Or while I was playing squash against my, the, uh, really, the, the room wall, an outside wall, I was smacking the ball, uh, hitting the ball against the wall, and my dad said, you're going to break that window. And I said, I won't break that window. Overconfident. Or with pull-ups, I remember... Uh, a couple of years ago, my brother-in-law and a few other guys went to the gym. My brother-in-law was a gym instructor. And he said, Ivor, can you do pull-ups? And I said, pull-ups, come on. I was a gymnast. Of course I can do pull-ups. But I didn't reckon with the extra weight I put on. And so I could, could just, just barely do five pull-ups. Or a mother who brought her son to me a few years after my conversion. And in the early years after my conversion, I had struggled with a particular sin. And so the mother brings this son to me and says, please, I was in my early 20s then, the son was a teenager, can you help this son of mine, he's struggling with a sin. And I thought, sure, and I helped him with an air of confidence that, yeah, I, I, I mean, I've, I've overcome this thing. And a few months after that, I fell back into the same sin. So you see, uh, overconfidence is dangerous. Overconfidence can bring you into a situation where you're really uh, not only embarrassed, but... Um, it's like you put to shame. Uh, you think of Haman in the book of Esther. Haman, who, who was second in charge, just below the king, and he wanted everyone to bow to him, but Mordecai the Jew wouldn't bow to him. And what happened then is Haman got furious, he got angry, he built a gallows, and said, I'm going to hang Mordecai on that. And then he goes to the king, 
to share this brilliant plan. We're going to hang Mordecai. But then as he's on his way to the king, what had happened is the king couldn't sleep. And so the servants read from the royal chronicles. And then in the chronicles, they read to the king that Mordecai heard of a plot where these two guys were plotting to murder the king. And Mordecai then went and he said to the king, you know, these guys are planning your, to kill you. And the king uh, checked into it, and it was true, and so he had the guys executed. And so this story is now read to him, and he said, that was some time ago. What did I do for Mordecai? Did I reward him? And the servant says, no, you didn't reward him. And he says, well, and at that moment, Haman comes in to now to say to the king, Mordecai should be hanged because he won't bow before me. And the king says, oh, Haman, yes, 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 come in, come in. You know, let me put a question to you, Haman. If there's someone I really want to honor, what do you think I should do for him? And Haman is overconfident and he thinks to himself, well, who else than me? Obviously, the king's thinking of honoring me. And he says, your majesty, let this person uh, ride on the royal horse. His horses breed uh, the royal stud. Um, let him ride on your horse and one of your most noble officials must lead the horse through the streets and and clothe him in royal robes, this person, and then let this person leading the horse cry out, this is how it shall be done to someone in whom the king delights to honor, or wh whom the king delights to honor. And the king then says to him, thank you, that's an excellent idea. Now everything you've said, please do that to Mordecai. And so Haman has to do that, overconfident. And he was embarrassed. And then sometimes overconfidence, in some cases, can even cost your life. So think of a young man, he's overconfident in his ability to drive, and he thinks, I can, I can drive well, and he goes around a corner, around a bend too fast, and uh, gets into an accident and dies. Or someone who thinks they, they overestimate their own ability, they're overconfident about their own ability to swim, they think they're strong swimmers, and then they think they can take on uh, the ocean, and there's a very a strong current, and then they think they'll be able to swim there, and they drown. Overconfidence is a very great problem in our day. How many, how many times have you heard people say you should believe in yourself? While preparing for the sermon, on one website I read this, uh, there was a title of a book, and here's the subtitle of the book, How to Stop Doubting Your Greatness and Start Living an Awesome Life. Or, this was said, obviously in a joking way, uh, a blog post about overconfidence, and it's, the title of the blog post was, This post about overconfidence will definitely be excellent. So that's being overconfident if you didn't catch that. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you stop the world from influencing you in this area? And how do you overcome the overconfidence in your own heart? Well, number one, you should understand who God is. That's in verse 26. You know the story when the Titanic took its maiden voyage. Just before its maiden voyage, someone said... God himself cannot sink the ship. And as you know, the Titanic sunk on its very first voyage. So if these people really knew God, then they wouldn't have thought so well of man and been, been overconfident in man's engineering ability. 
Wasn't it when Isaiah saw God's greatness that he realized who he is? As we read in Isaiah 6, he saw the glory of Christ, he saw the glory of God, and he trembled, and then he said, woe is me. Then he realized, I am no one. And Peter himself, Peter had to see that. Peter was supposed to see that, but when he forgot this for a moment, he fell. Now to give you some context, Jesus and the disciples, they had just had the Passover meal. They remembered how God led Israel out of Egypt. They remember how God opened the Red Sea and led the people of Israel through the sea. And they even sung about this because uh, during the Passover, fe Passover feast, they would see, sing Psalm 113 to 118. And that is, that is what verse 26 is talking about, when they had sung a hymn. <coughs> so it was different psalms. They would start out with Psalm 113, then 114, and then at the end... Psalm 115 to 118 they would sing. So they, they had just sung this hymn, and the Jews did this at every Passover. It was called the Hallel. Uh, we get that from the word Hallelujah. Hallel meaning praise to Yah, Yahweh. And if Peter had really thought through the words, and the other disciples really thought through the words of these psalms, then they wouldn't have been overconfident and, and fallen into sin. But because they didn't think about the greatness of God, but rather about their own greatness. And it's often, it's because people think too much of themselves and too little of God that they lick the dust. And they bite the dust. Because if they knew God better, then they would, rest, they would have rested on God's power, not on their own power. On God's strength, not on their own strength. They wouldn't have trusted in their own plans for the future and in themselves. They would have acknowledged that God is sovereign over the future. God is in control of the future. And God can, and indeed did, He can in a, in a moment just destroy all your future plans, as He did in the year 2020, COVID-19 and lockdown. So let us learn to believe God is in control of our lives. God is in control of our future. And let us learn to say, if the Lord wills and we live, we will do this or that. And then let us also learn to pray. That's what Jesus did in verse 26. It says they went out to the Mount of Olives. Why did he go to the Mount of Olives? Outside of the city. It says went out, meaning outside of Jerusalem. Why did they go to the Mount of Olives? Because it was, Jesus, it was custom for Jesus According to very good habit, Jesus would go there and he would pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that in Luke 22, verse 39. Uh, as was his custom, he would go there. And now he's on his way to pray. And according to, to the next passage, we see Peter and the other disciples sleeping instead of praying. And why do they sleep and not pray? Because they're overconfident. They are depending on themselves, on their own strength. They, they don't see their need for God's help. And it cost them dearly. So let us, follow, let us follow the example of Jesus instead of following the example of the disciples. And I think prayer is one of the first ways in which we show and acknowledge our own weakness and we, in which we, by which we acknowledge that we need God. We need His strength. We need His support. We need Him to sustain us and to guide us and to help us. So that's also the way to overcome overconfidence. You overcome it by praying, by lots and lots of praying where you say, Lord, I need you. 
You see, prayerless Christians and prayerless churches are overconfident Christians and overconfident churches. And they are going to come down hard. Number two, if you want to overcome confidence, uh, overconfidence, understand who you are. So number one was understand who God is. Number two, understand who you are. That's in verse 27, 29, and 31. In Afrikaans, there's a saying, it's an idiom, uh, and I'll just explain it to you. It says, <clears throat> if someone has an ability to grasp something well, you only need to speak half a word. So you don't even need to finish your sentence because they grasp things so well uh, and so quickly that, okay, I get it. You don't need to complete your sentence there. And in the same way, someone who knows the Bible well, they will understand this sermon. They will understand when I say Scripture warns us against overconfidence, I do not mean you need to beat yourself up and say to yourself, I cannot overcome sin. I cannot live a righteous life because saying so and thinking like that, that's overconfidence and overconfidence is sin. That's not what I'm trying to tell you this evening. What Jesus is saying in this passage is do not trust in yourself. Trust in Him. Rely on Him, not on yourself. You must realize and understand you are weak. And without Jesus, you and I are nothing, as Jesus Himself taught us. And the disciples forgot this. They didn't believe Jesus when He said, You will all fall away because of Me. Verse 27, You will all fall away. They didn't believe verse 29. Peter, you see Peter's response there that just shows i don't believe you jesus i won't fall away they will but i won't and verse 31 he's so confident so overconfident even if i must die with you i will never deny you so so they don't believe what jesus is saying and, he, and peter even thought he's he's better than the rest because he says even if they all of them fall if all of them turn away from you and fall away i will never fall away and that's one of the factors that caused him to fall. Doesn't Paul teach us that he who thinks he stands should be careful that he does not fall? Doesn't Proverbs teach us pride goes before a fall? And then Peter also, furthermore, Peter thought he knew himself better than Jesus knew him. Now, according to the Greek text in verse 31, where Peter said emphatically, so it's with great vehemence, it's with great zeal. It's with great emphasis. And the Greek uh, verb there is in a continuous tense, so uh, it's an imperfect tense also, which means it's something that happened in the past, um, but it's not yet complete. And so he kept on saying, I will never deny. Jesus, I won't. I won't. I promise you, I won't deny you. I'll never do this. Even though you say so, it's not true. I won't do this. He kept on and kept on. Saying this, even if I have to die with you. Now, if you compare these verses to Luke's gospel, Luke 23, verse 33, and John 13, verse 37 and 38, if we put all those passages together, this is what the dialogue sounded like. So Peter said, Lord, I will lay down my life for you. Jesus said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And then Peter answered, I won't. Even if I have to go to prison with you and die with you. So in other words, Peter said, I won't deny you before and after Jesus had warned you will. And the rest of the disciples said the same, verse 31. 
And we also like that. We think we know ourselves better than Jesus knows us. We think we know ourselves well. <coughs> and I'll never do this, and I'll never do that. And then we're shocked if we do indeed do this or that. But if we believed, and if we understood, and if we knew a verse like Jeremiah 17 verse 9, we wouldn't have been so overconfident, and we wouldn't have fallen. Because Jeremiah warns, deceitful is the heart above all things. Desperately wicked, who can understand it? So let us not be smarter than Jesus. Don't try and be cleverer than Jesus. But let us rather pray every day, asking him, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So acknowledge your weakness. We should acknowledge our weakness. We should acknowledge, I need God's help. Don't think like the disciples, where the disciples thought, I'm strong, I'm important. Because just before this, According to Luke 22, 24, they had argued who's the greatest among them. I'm greater than you. I'm more important than you. I'm stronger than you. And if we're going to be like that, and we want to come in our own strength and fight against the devil, well, you're going to come second. So rather flee to Jesus and trust in Jesus and ask him to protect you, as he did for Peter and the other disciples in Luke 22. Right while he was saying this, it says in Luke 22, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have repented or when you have turned, strengthen your brothers. So I've prayed for you. And Jesus still prays for us that we will be delivered from the evil one. So trust him. Don't trust your own strength. Number three, third command or solution to this problem of overconfidence. Listen to the word. It's in verse 27. And verse 30. I once warned a guy. He, he had gone to the, these people's house. He said his friends. And he would go there. But he would be there all the time. From morning till evening. Uh, he would just be at their house all the time. And I warned him and said. Rather not do that. Why not rather go to them one evening a week for supper. And not every day. And, and he argued with me. I said, they're going to get tired of you. And he argued with me and said, it's not so. We understand each other. And it happened exactly like I predicted. Not because I'm smart, but because Proverbs 25 says that's what would happen. Proverbs 25, verse 16 and 17 says, If you have found honey, honey, eat only enough for yourself, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Vomit it. And then it says exactly the same with your neighbor. Let your foot... Be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he has he have his fill of you and hate you. So if he had listened to the word, and if he had knew, known the word, he wouldn't have fallen into that trap. And it's the same with Peter and the disciples. They didn't listen to the Old Testament. They didn't listen to Jesus' words. Remember, Jesus' words is the word of God. They didn't listen to it because Zechariah 13 verse 7 predicted that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Verse 27. But they didn't listen to that. And that was fulfilled when Jesus was arrested in the garden and all of a sudden these disciples just scatter. They run in every direction, running away. According to verse 15, they left him and fled. And then also these words were fulfilled when, when Peter denied Jesus three times. Now according to Matthew and Luke and John, Peter denied Jesus Three times, Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. But now Mark comes in our passage, and Mark says, 
You will deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. That's in verse 30. So how do we, how do we relieve this tension? How do we solve this? The other gospels say, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. This says, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows twice. Well, this is how we solve it. According to Mark 13, verse 35, the Jews divided the night up into four watches. So you had six to nine in the evening. That would be called night or evening. And then you had nine to twelve. That would be called midnight. And then you had twelve to three. That would have been, that was called rooster crows or cock crow. And then you had three in the morning to six in the morning, which would be called early morning. Yeah, Mark, Mark 13, 35. Therefore stay awake, you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight, at cock crow or in the morning. So, or when the rooster crows. So, so that's how we solve it. So basically what Jesus is saying to Peter, during cock crow, meaning from midnight to three o'clock, probably just before three o'clock, during cock crow, you will deny me. And how many times will the cock crow? Twice. And by the time that the cock crows twice, you would already have denied me three times. And it, it happened exactly as Jesus predicted. Verse 66 to 72. So let us, not, let us not exalt ourselves above the words of Jesus. Let us not think we know better than the Bible. But rather, let us submit ourselves to the Bible, subject yourself to the Bible, and believe the Bible is true. So let us not say, yes, the Bible says I shouldn't marry an unbeliever, but I know that, that I can win this person to the Lord. The Bible says I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't make a lot of debt, and especially debt I cannot afford, but I know that the Lord will provide money for me and I'll, I'll clear the debt quickly. The Bible says, well, I shouldn't get divorced, but we don't love each other anymore, and it's just going to be better for all of us if I get divorced, if I get a divorce. The Bible says that I shouldn't um, pledge to pay someone else's debt. Uh, in Proverbs chapter 6, putting up security for a neighbor. I know the Bible says that, but I know these people well, and I know they, they won't trick me, and nothing, will, nothing can go wrong. The Bible says that I mustn't put myself in a position where I'll be tempted. But I know myself. I know myself. I'm strong enough. I will stand against the temptation. I'm not like other people. They can't control themselves. I can control myself. Well, if you think in that way, you're like the disciples. And you have forgotten that the sheep are nothing without the shepherd. And you will fall. Number four. Finally, understand the cross. If you want to overcome overconfidence. Understand the cross, verse 27 and 28. So when, when Humpty Dumpty fell, no one could put him together again. But when the disciples fell, Jesus restored them. And yet it wasn't easy. It cost him his life. So the father had to strike the shepherd. The father had to strike him on the cross so that he could save the sheep. So that he could forgive our sins. When Christ died for our sins. He took the punishment for our sins. 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was punished for our iniquities. So the fountain is now there where we can be cleansed of our sin. So the cross reminds us we are not good. The cross reminds us we deserve death. And so we should not be overconfident. We should trust in Jesus. So if you want to overcome overconfidence, remember the cross. Think about the cross. Meditate on the cross. And do so often, especially when we have the Lord's Supper. So the disciples, Peter and the other disciples, they had no reason whatsoever to trust in themselves and to be overconfident. Because just before this, Jesus... had the Passover with them, and then he inaugurated the Lord's Supper, where he reminded them, this is what it means, my body is going to be broken, this is what it means, my blood will be poured out for many, I will take the punishment for many, for you, for your sakes, see who you are, you are nobody, you are sinners, you deserve hell, and I will come and save you, so look to me, don't look to yourself, but they did not understand that. And then even to go further, we learn from this that it's not enough just to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Because they did, but they didn't understand. We need to understand what it means. So the, the privileges we get from the cross, appropriate them. Take them for yourself. Take them for your own. And by faith, have fellowship with Jesus Christ. Communion with Christ. Confess your sin and ask for strength to live a righteous life. And then remember that God's grace is sufficient to help you. Even if you were like the disciples where they were overconfident and they really messed up. God's grace is sufficient to forgive and to restore. That's the point of verse 28. But after I'm raised up, I'll go before you to Galilee. So before Jesus even died, he predicted his resurrection from the dead and he will meet the disciples in Galilee. And he said this knowing full well they will deny him and they will run away. So we must learn here that the success of God's work does not rest on us. I mean, these are failures, the disciples, these disciples. We are failures. The success of God's work rests on Christ alone. And that is just one more reason for us not to be overconfident. Do not be overconfident, but to trust in Christ alone. Many people think, you know, they can't do without me. We are not those kinds of people. In God's work, God can very easily do without us. He does not need us. So once you and I die, God's work will continue. Moses dies, God will send Joshua. So let none, let none of us um, trust and rely on our successes, on our spiritual gifts or on our abilities. But let us rely on Jesus and solely and only on Jesus. Now perhaps you've, you've already been like these disciples, you were overconfident and you really bumped your head hard. But then we should learn from our mistakes and also teach other people not to make the same mistakes we made. And that's what Peter does in his first epistle, 1 Peter. Peter teaches the Christians from his own errors. And he tells these believers, God is everything. God is everything. Salvation is from God alone. We are nothing, 1 Peter 1 verse 1 to 3. 
He reminds them that sin and the, and the devil is strong and we must be watchful. 1 Peter 1, 13, 2, 11 and 5, verse 8 and 9. And he tells them we are sinners. We need the cross to be forgiven. And we need the cross where Jesus, through that death on the cross, brings us back to the great shepherd. 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 19. 2, verse 24 and 25 and 3, verse 18. Peter tells them you must be humble. Because God will oppose you if you are proud. 1 Peter 3 verse 8 and 5 verse 5 and 6. Peter tells them that they must be sober minded for the sake of their prayers. 1 Peter 4 verse 7. Peter teaches them that you must trust in the Lord and cast your burdens and anxieties on Him. 1 Peter 4 14 and 5 verse 7. Peter tells them God will discipline you for your sin. 1 Peter 4 17. Peter tells them we must praise God alone. And that implies we must not boast in ourselves. 1 Peter 4.11 and 5.11 So you see, Peter, Peter had learned the lessons. He had learned these lessons from his own life and his own mistakes. And, and those passages they are more in Peter, but I just took the ones that have to do with this passage here. These errors he made here and how God taught him the lessons. And so learn from Peter's mistakes so that we do not repeat Peter's mistakes. And let us also learn that overconfidence keeps people out of heaven. Too many people are overconfident. They are convinced they are going to heaven. And that all the while, while they are straight on their way to hell. Just like in Matthew 7. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord. But did we not prophesy in your name and do many and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? They were confident. Lord, how can this be that we won't enter heaven? And Paul was like that before his conversion in Philippians chapter 3. And I'm going to close with this. Philippians 3, in verse 46, you see Paul is overconfident. So this is before his conversion. He says, I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, I was a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Blameless. Amazing. And so when Jesus met him on the Damascus Road, all that self-confidence and overconfidence just disappeared like sand under his feet. It gave way. And after that, he no longer trusted in himself, but he trusted and relied solely on Jesus and only on Jesus. Philippians 3, verse 3. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and the glory and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Verse 79. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count so all of that confidence he had just throws away. I count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Where does your confidence lie? In yourself or in Jesus?
Heavenly Father, we need you. All of us at times are overconfident. Help us to leave confidence in self and to find our confidence in you. You say, you say in Proverbs that in the fear of the Lord one has strong confidence. Help us to trust you and to look to you for this confidence. Amen.